the um, the image that everybody saw that came out of Joplin was the old St. John's Hospital, which is now Mercy. Uh, and it was what was considered ground zero of the Joplin tornado on uh, May 22nd, 2011. On today's episode of Shooting the Breeze, we discuss from firsthand experience the Joplin tornado on its 10-year anniversary, which occurred this past weekend. It's a bit of a different format for your local weather authority. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster ride. But we're inviting you along to get the firsthand experience from someone who is actually there. So sit back and let's soak it all in on this episode of Shooting the Breeze with your local weather authority. Just Adam Sherwinski. Usually we have Chris kicking off the show, but we've got me for today. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I asked my friend uh, and former coworker uh, Dave Smith there in Joplin at KSNF uh, KODE, where I used to work at uh, in Joplin, Missouri, to talk about his experience uh, in 2020 uh, on the anniversary of the storm. Uh, he told my story to me and another coworker, and uh, it was very vivid. Uh, I thought it was a really compelling story and i thought bringing it to the podcast would be interesting especially considering that saturday was the 10-year anniversary of the joplin tornado uh and it's even though i wasn't in the storm people ask was i in the storm i was not there i got there in 2017 and was there until 2020 Uh, i still did a check-in with everybody made sure everybody was doing good uh saturday and it was a rough day for a lot of people uh people that were impacted by it lost loved ones in it and so I talked to Dave uh, prior to that, and we have an interview with him, and here's his story. The building that I was in was on St. John's Hospital's property. So we were just uh, a few yards, really, away from, from that ground zero uh, where the tornado really uh, was considered to do the most devastation. It was a, a building called Stained Glass Theater. It was a... Um, a community theater, faith-based community theater. Um, we were, I was a member of the cast. We were finishing up a production. This was a Sunday afternoon. And uh, so we had a Sunday afternoon matinee. It was our last production uh, of that particular run. Uh, so the audience was there. The show had just ended. We all came out on stage to do our curtain call to take our, our bowels. And um, we could hear the tornado sirens going off in the distance. And the director of our production was out on stage with us, and she told the audience, she said, you might hear the tornado sirens going off in the distance. Um, We've looked at the radar. We think from every report that we've heard that it's going to go, the the storm is going to track north of us. Uh, But, you know, you're welcome to stay if you'd like. Uh, We have a basement here in the theater, and if you don't feel safe going out into the uh, into the storm you're welcome to stay here Um, we had our set when you do a production after the last show you have to tear down everybody works to tear down the set we call it striking the set so that was a couple hours of work that we had ahead of us that we needed to do so the tornado sirens stopped after that 
And uh, some audience members stuck around for a little while. Um, the cast and the crew were busy starting to do the job that we had to do to strike the set. And uh, it was only a few minutes later that someone from the lobby, I think it was a family member of someone who was involved in the production. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but someone came running down the center aisle of the theater yelling, get to the basement, get to the basement. And uh, of course, a whole crowd started to gather around. Now, right next to the stage was the only uh, entrance to the basement. Um, other, unless you went outside and went around behind the building and you came through, a, it was like a walkout basement. But to get down to the basement from the auditorium um, was only uh, one little narrow doorway and a very, very narrow set of steps. Um, one set went down and the other set went up uh, to the backstage area. So it was basically half of a stairway that uh, people were able to use. Well, there were I don't know how many people were in the theater that day, but crowded around that little area there, there were at least 30, 40, maybe more people trying to get into the basement. Um, and of course, there's this gigantic traffic jam and uh, not everybody could make it to the basement. Um, and the at one point, as we were gathered around there waiting our turn to get down into the basement, uh, the power went out in the building. And of course, that kind of heightened the panic just a little bit. Um, we had a lot of kids in the show, a lot of teenagers and uh, elementary age kids that were in the show. Uh, people from the theater were there as well, the audience, I mean, and a lot of adults as well in the show. But it kind of heightened the whole panic of it just a bit. And, uh, and then I, I remember there was a very strange change in the air pressure. It was like, a, like when your ears pop on an airplane, but it was much more intense than that. And I think it was at that point that we realized, okay, this is serious. And um, as many people as could tried to file down into the basement, but there were just so many people that were coming from all areas of that theater to try to get down into that area that there were still a, a whole lot of people up in the auditorium that weren't going to make it downstairs. And uh, I was on maybe the second step down. Um, when we realized this is it, we're not, we're not going any further than this. And there was a young girl about 17 years old who was directly in front of me, uh, who was one of the cast members. And I just kind of hunched over her a bit and, and shield her a bit with my body and just kind of sat down on that top, that first or second step. So my head would have been right next to the, the level of the stage uh, was how it worked. And um, we just crouched down where we could. And the next thing we know, there was a, a gigantic wind uh, blowing through. Now, I didn't really see anything because I, I had my head covered, my, my, my arms up over my head and kind of shielding her and my head tucked down, my chin tucked down onto my chest. Um, so I really didn't see anything, but I felt it and I heard it. Um, and I tasted it. That's one thing that I tell people is that all this debris started blowing around. Um, dust and dirt and, and whatever else that was in the air uh, just started blowing around us. And so you, you, we got it into our noses and into our ears and into our mouth. And so we could taste it. We could smell it. And, um, and we knew that we were in the middle of the, of the tornado, that it had directly hit the building. Um, and we were just waiting 
for whatever was going to happen. Um, when you're in the middle of that, you really, you really don't know uh, what's about to happen. And, uh, and it lasted, I don't know how long it lasted, um, you know, for it to pass over, um, and hit the building and then, and then move on its way. Um, but, uh, suddenly I was aware of the presence of rain and hail hitting me, whereas just a few seconds before we were in an enclosed building. Now the wind is blowing like crazy. The, 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 the rain is hitting us, the wind, the hail, everything is just pummeling us. And, uh, at one point I realized that, you know, it's, it's probably safe to look up and I did. And I sat up and like I said, my head had been about the level of the stage. And so when I opened my eyes and looked around where the building had been, there was no building there anymore. It was just gone. Um, debris and rubble and upside down cars laying where the stage had been, um, just barely missing as there was a tree laying across where the stage had been. Uh, theater seats were just scattered everywhere and people were, were pinned underneath the seats. Um, bricks and, and cinder blocks and rubble just laying everywhere in there. And um, you, you just, it, it takes a, a minute to realize what just happened here. You look around and, and, and the only thing I could say was, was, oh, oh my God, oh my God. You know, just looking around that I, I couldn't believe this actually happened. My very first reaction was to pull my cell phone out of my pocket and call my wife. Thankfully, my wife and my three kids weren't with me at the theater that day. They were home uh, in the next town over. Um, so I called. Now, you got to understand that we're still in the middle of this massive storm and the tornado has just moved off to the east. And so we're still getting pummeled with torrential rain and um, and hail and and it's it's just this massive noise going on around you. And uh, so I called and my wife I heard her answer the phone. She said hello, and I said, "Honey, can you hear me? Can you hear me?" And that's when the phone went dead. And what I'm assuming is all of the cell towers were down from the the tornado. And so I didn't know if she had heard me or not. So through the next couple of hours, I had no idea whether my wife knew if I was alive or not. And that was a really, really hard thing. And there was no way to communicate with her to tell her that I was alive or to communicate with my kids who were all pretty small at the time. So, um, and I looked around and suddenly you start seeing the bodies and you start seeing the injuries. And um, the uh, one of the ladies who was one of our cast members, uh, I found her body laying in the rubble. Um, and she was obviously, without question, was gone. Um, she, she, it looked like she had been killed immediately. Um, and I won't go into detail as to how I knew that by looking at her, but, but there was no question. So I, I grabbed a, a tarp of some sort and pulled it up over her. There was just some kind of a fabric or vinyl or something laying there in the rubble. And I grabbed it and I pulled it up over her body because I didn't want all those kids to, to see that sight. Um, there was a, a, one of our audience members who, same situation, it was obvious that he was gone. 
Um, and then our director, who had been addressing the audience earlier uh, as we wrapped up the show, uh, had been hit with something in the head and her forehead was bleeding um, very, very badly. And one of the ladies who was in the show uh, happened to be a nurse and she was trying to tend to her, trying to get the bleeding stopped. Uh, as it turned out, um, they eventually got her to the hospital and then they got her to uh, the hospital. They flew her to the hospital in Kansas City at the KCU Medical Center there, and um, and she ended up um, passing away several days later. Um, so there were three people um, in the theater that were that were lost, uh, two immediately in the tornado, and one several days later. Um, and then it was a matter of just trying to uh, tend to the wounded because there were people with broken bones, there were people with massive cuts. Um, we had a collapsed lungs we had all, all kinds of things and uh our our first thought was hey the hospital is right over there it's it's just a few yards away these people are hurt let's let's get to the hospital so we're trying to climb out of this slick slimy rubble and there's just gunk everywhere and you're trying to climb out of that. So people are slipping and falling. And, and we had older people that we were trying to help out and, and younger kids. And uh, so we got out uh, of, the, uh, of the immediate theater area, some of us did, and, and headed over to the hospital. Well, we got into the hospital and it was an even worse condition in there than the theater had been. Uh, there, were, there was no power. So it was very dark in there. The corridors of this hospital are dark and there are people screaming and running around and, and medical uh, personnel who are, you know, trying to, trying to keep order and trying to get people to, to go to certain areas and, and whatever. There was, there, were, there was wiring hanging out of the ceiling. There were people laying in the floor of the, of the corridors of the hospital. There was, you were walking through, who knows, what kind of liquid and gunk was on the floor that you were walking through. And we got somewhere into the hospital. And the next thing we knew is it, there came, you know, people, nurses and doctors were running around with flashlights. And, and, and then we heard uh, that there, they suspected that there was a gas leak in the building. And so they said, if you are able to walk, you need to get out of the hospital. And, and to me, that was one of the scariest parts because I thought, well, my goodness, did we, did we survive uh, being directly hit by the tornado just to, uh, you know, to get blown up in a hospital? So it was a, a very tense moment. I had a group of teenagers that were with me that I kind of took charge of um, if I, as best I could. And I said, okay, we need to get out. And so eventually we were able to make our way out of the hospital and make it uh, a couple of blocks over. And so I'm just here with this group of teenagers and it's like, what do we, what do we do next? We can't call anybody. Uh, we're just standing here. Nobody knows. All these kids' parents don't know if they're alive or not. Um, and the craziest thing was, Adam, is, is, is you stood there and you looked around. Like I said, we were in what was considered ground zero of the tornado. No matter where you looked in any direction, all you saw was destruction. I mean, it looked like a, a, a nuclear bomb had gone off. There was not one 
recognizable structure standing other than the shell of the hospital building. Um, but you couldn't even, I mean, there was no, there was nothing. You couldn't tell where you were. The streets were covered in debris. You had no idea where you were. Cars were turned upside down everywhere and on their sides and crumpled up and mashed. Um, our, I had my van there at the station. We found it a couple of days later, uh, a couple of blocks down and a few blocks over. Um, I mean, it was just destruction as far as you could see in any direction. And uh, so we had no idea how, how extensive this destruction was. And um, so uh, we had, there were several things that happened. And I don't know how much detail you want here uh, as the immediate aftermath of the tornado. But we had, you know, there were power lines down, there were power poles down everywhere. Um, there was the smell of, I'll never forget the smell of gasoline and oil in the air from all of these cars that had flipped and they were leaking gas and they were leaking oil. It was just this smell permeating the air. And, uh, and it was still raining and we were, and we were cold, even though it was late May, it was, you know, we were chilled and I think in shock a little bit and shivering and, and, and wet and just caked with, with debris. And we had stuff caked into our ears and into our nose and into our mouths and, and all over us and, and clothes were torn. And I mean, I saw people literally with their, literally in the immediate aftermath with their clothes torn off of them um, and who were just there trying to help other people who were injured. We had people that were cut up and bleeding. I had, I wasn't, I wasn't majorly hurt. I had uh, a lot of cuts all over my body where I was just peppered with small pieces of debris I think we, my wife and I counted them up. I think, I think I had like 330 some cuts on my body, but some of them were the size of a pinprick. Some of them were uh, a little bit more substantial, but, but I was blessed and fortunate that I wasn't hurt worse than I was, you know, because there were people that were seriously hurt. Um, there was a, a, a little, a, a little old lady sitting in a wheelchair, sitting out in the middle of the rain, all by herself, completely abandoned. I think there had been a nursing home uh, there are a senior care facility or something. Um, and this poor lady was sitting in her wheelchair. She couldn't get up, couldn't walk. And she was just sitting there being, being, you know, pummeled by the rain. Um, and uh, we looked up and we saw uh, one of the other guys was with us. We said, Hey, there's a, there's a police car sitting there and it's got its doors open. The, the officer wasn't there. He had, you know, this was enough time had passed after the tornado that, that emergency crews had started to show up. Um, so there was a police car sitting there with his doors open. And we said, well, we just need to get this lady out of the rain. Uh, we don't know where her family is or any of her caretakers, but <clears throat> excuse me, um, but we need to get her out of the rain. So um, we wheeled. In fact, this one made the national news. There's a video of me pushing her wheelchair uh, through a empty lot that that one time had been a building there. And uh, we got to a place where there was a power pole down and a power line, so we couldn't get around it. Um, and uh, so this other guy and I, I lifted her up, this little little lady out of her chair, and we handed her across the, the power line. Uh, I handed her across to the other guy, and then I jumped over, and we got her back in her wheelchair and, and pushed her up to the police car. And just sat her inside the police car, knowing that the officer would eventually be back and he could help get her where she needed to be. But we just needed to get her out of the elements 
um, for her own health and safety. So we did that. And then it was just a matter of standing around and it was talking about, well, did you see so-and-so after the tornado? Or is this person okay? Is that person okay? And we didn't have a lot of answers. Finally, someone, a, a lady came by in an SUV. You know, people started arriving on the scene, just saying, what can we do to help? And, and this lady came by in an SUV and said to me, what, what can I do? And I said, we need to get to a place. I said, I don't know how far the damage extends, but we need to get to a place where these kids can get on a landline and call their, their parents to let them know that they're, that they're alive. You know, the parents didn't even know at this point. Um, and so several blocks to the north was a Walmart supercenter. And I asked the lady, do you, do you know if the supercenter up there on 7th Street is, we were on 26th Street. This is where this happened in Joplin. There's a super center on 7th Street on the west side of Joplin. And I said, do you know if that building is still standing? And she said, well, I, I think so. Um, so I said, could you take us there? Uh, and I had probably, I don't know, six or seven, eight kids with me, teenagers with me uh, that I had kind of tried to take, take charge of. So we all piled into her SUV and she drove us up to the Walmart Supercenter. We walked in there and it was like nobody had any idea. It was just a normal shopping day. Nobody had any idea what had happened. And I walked in and I said to one of the greeters or somebody that worked there, I said, is there a manager here that we can talk to? And I mean, we looked like we had just climbed out of a shipwreck. I mean, it was a mess. We were, we were a mess. And, uh, so they got somebody to come over and talk to us. And I said, look, we need, we need to use a phone so that these folks can call their, their, their parents. And if you had some blankets or something like that, I mean, they're cold, they're shivering, they're soaked, they're filthy. Do you mind if, if you grabbed some blankets for us or something so they could wrap up? And it took the, it took this guy quite a while to kind of sink in what had, what had happened here. We just kind of looked like a bunch of crazy people that had wandered in off the street and I said, we, we've been in a tornado. There's been a, a terrible tornado. And um, so anyway, I think we finally got through to him that we needed some help. And uh, so they brought some blankets for us. And then one by one, we started using their phone in the customer service area. And even then, the, the, even though it was a landline, it was so um, difficult to get a call out. There was no cell service uh, anywhere near where, where that, and nobody had cell, I mean, I had a cell phone, but there was just no cell service. And uh, so we finally were able to get some phone calls out to some parents. Now, somehow or another, the word got out that um, a bunch of the kids, that the kids from the stained glass theater had all gone to Walmart. Well, that wasn't exactly the case. I only had seven or eight of them with me, but all of these parents started showing up at the, the Walmart looking for their kids. And so I had, you know, thinking that that's where their kids were going to be. And I had the painful job of telling them, no, I'm sorry, your kid isn't with me. And they would say, well, where are they? And I had to say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know. And that, that's one of the hardest things. And I had, uh, I had already had a real tough experience because immediately after the tornado in the rubble of the theater, there was a young man who was a teenager at the time um, and he had been hit um, by a cinder block in the in the face, and and I know that kid. I knew him since the time he was just a young boy, 
And I, I had known him for years. And when I looked at him, I didn't recognize him. He was that, that messed up. And there was another young man that was there trying to help him. And, and I'm telling you, Adam, I, I was sure I had to ask who he was because I didn't know who he was. And I was sure that he wasn't going to live <laughs> through this. I mean, he just looked so bad and he was, he was pushing himself up, trying to push himself up out of the rubble, but he just was in such bad condition that I didn't. Well, when we got to the Walmart there, I ran into his mother who just happened to be there shopping and she had no idea that this had happened. And and she came up to me all friendly and smiles and said, what, what's going on? Because we looked so bad. She said, what in the world's going on? And I said, have you not heard what, what's happened here? And she said, no. And, and I thought that it was going to be my job to deliver the news to her that her son was dead. I mean, he, he wasn't when I saw him, <laughs> but I was convinced that by this time, he was probably gone. And I said to her, your son was in the tornado and he's, he's hurt. He's hurt really badly. And she said, is he alive? And I didn't know how to answer that question. So all I said was when I saw him, he was alive and he was trying to push himself up out of the rubble. And she said, but he's alive. And I said, when I saw him, he was alive. So she said, okay. And she took off to go find him. Turns out that they had gotten him to the other hospital in town that was still standing, Freeman Hospital. And his dad, once they had him to the hospital, his dad walked past him several times before he realized that was his son. The good news of that story is that he actually recovered um, and he didn't die. But boy, I'll tell you, I, I was convinced that we were gonna lose him as well. Um, anyway, so that was a terrible conversation that I had to have with his mom. And then all of these parents started showing up wanting to know where their kids were. And we had a, we had a little girl in the show and I had known her dad for uh, many years and he came in and of course he's so distraught and so upset. Where's my daughter? His daughter is nowhere to be found. He doesn't know where she is. She could be anywhere in the city of Joplin or she could even not be alive and he doesn't know where she is. And he was expecting to find her there. And he came up to me and he says, is she here? I said, I said, no, I don't know. I said, I saw her. I said, after the tornado, I saw her, she was alive and she seemed to be okay, but I don't know where she is. And, and as a father myself, and at the time I had two little girls and little boy, just the thought of them, of one of those kids being somewhere in, in a, the city of Joplin and, and me not knowing where or who they're with or anything like that. I have no idea where to go to look for my child. And I had to look at this guy in the face and say, I'm sorry, I don't know where she is. Um, I, I can assure you that she's alive because I saw her, but I can't tell you where she is now. Because everybody just got separated after the tornado and everybody kind of was on their own to figure out what to do next. So he took off. And so that was very, very difficult. I was finally able to get a call into my wife. Um, and turns out that she had heard my voice after the tornado when I, in those brief seconds that I called her, but I didn't know that. So, um, so that was nice to know that she knew I was alive, but 
it had been several hours now since the tornado and all of that time I was thinking that my wife thought that I could I could be dead and and that was a horrible 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 feeling anyway um so we got all the kids finally that were with me that their parents came got them got them home and the lady that had driven us there in the first place said is there anything else I can do and I said if you don't mind, would you mind driving me home? And um, so now it was, the tornado hit at about 5.40, 5.41, I think is what, this, is what the official time was where it hit the area that I was. Um, so now it was getting close to nine. Um, and so she was kind enough to drive me in the, about a 20 minute drive home. And there was a, another young lady from the theater who um, didn't have her uh, apartment, I believe, had been uh, destroyed and she didn't have anywhere to go. So she came home with me um, and we kept her for a few days uh, until we were able to get her back with, uh, with some people. But anyway, got home that night, uh, went in um, to the house, went into the bathroom to get into the shower, peeled off my clothes and just uh, it was like a gravel truck dumping its load on the bathroom floor. All of this gunk and, and rocks and dirt and everything just came piling off of me. And, uh, and then it was a matter of um, just laying awake all that night and all night long. All you heard was sirens and helicopters and, and whatever. And there wasn't, there was no sleep to be had that night. And, uh, so I laid there staring at the ceiling all night long, wide awake. And, um, you know, and so that's pretty much the, the story. I mean, we went back a, a couple of days later and found our, what remained of our van and, and um, you know, started digging through things and recovering what we could. And, uh, but anyway, that's, that's kind of the story of what happened on that day. Um, obviously a lot more happened, but that that's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, you heard there, that was the story of, uh, from Dave Smith, mm-hmm. of his recollection, uh, recollection, if I can speak, uh, what happened 10 years ago, uh, during the Joplin, Missouri, um, EF5 tornado, a couple of stats from that particular, uh, tornado. We had, uh, 158 people, uh, reportedly died as a direct result of the tornado, uh, but they did say here uh, there was an additional eight indirect deaths. Uh, 1,150 others approximately were injured, and total damages uh, up to $2.8 billion. And that's in 2011 dollars. 2011, so a bit more now. I think one thing to take away, too, is that this is, you know, deaths by a tornado have happened in our history within the last gosh, at this point, 70, 80 years, deaths like this have happened at that total. But this is the first, and I believe only, where over 150 people were killed by a tornado in the 21st century. Um, It's one of the worst natural disasters in the Midwest, let alone the country, uh, in the 21st century. Uh, It's a big deal, and any person you ask that's from the four-state region or lives around the four-state region, even if they didn't live in Joplin, they lived in Pittsburgh or Miami or even uh, in Carthage or Lamar, they all have a story some way, shape, or form uh, from that day, whether they knew somebody that was in it, knew whether they experienced it themselves, whether 
a couple days later they drove through to get to work or to get through Joplin to get through there. So uh, the emotional toll of it. And I think what's really interesting about it is that that where the hospital was, uh, where the hospital was, where the theater was that um, Dave mentioned, uh, that is now a park. And it is a lovely park, Mercy Park. Um, and they have a little, not so much there, there, but across the street, they have at uh, the other park there, they have a, a memorial to those that died in the tornado. And they have every single name of a, a person who died from the storm. Um, but Mercy Park is somewhere I used to just hang out all the time. We'll go for walks and just, you know, take pictures for work and on my Facebook page. And it, it's, for me, it's one, I have one view of it because I wasn't there during the Joplin tornado. But for some of the people that I've worked with and knew that lived around there, it's a totally different world uh, from that what it was before then. I mean, it was a hospital and theater, and there was a couple other things right there, too. Um, but if you stick around Joplin or the four states in general long enough, you're going to hear multiple yeah. s- stories from that day. A lot of people I know around here, they can probably relate, you know, you know, they, they, they listen back to this podcast and uh, they will, that story will sound awfully familiar to mm-hmm. perhaps the Washington story. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, these things do happen in the Midwest. Uh, Washington's obviously wasn't, wasn't that strong, but to those who are impacted, it, it, it's the same result mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end. Um, but a very powerful story. Um, as a meteorologist, I've never been, and very few people live through these and, te- and have a story to tell. Which is why it's always so uh, intriguing. The, these tornadoes of this magnitude are very rare to begin with, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, it, they're even for those to survive it with barely any injuries, like Dave here. Uh, it's impressive for him to be able to tell that story, uh, live to tell about it, and you know relay it on to other people, especially for us, because we get a lot. You know, we see this stuff on radar. We're watching it from a distance more often than actually being directly impacted. Uh, so from a from my standpoint, it's 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 great to have some personal uh, somebody else who was there to tell us what it was what it was, mm-hmm. and so we can forward that message on to other people. But it also helps us learn. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, he talked about the storm track early on. You know, maybe I don't remember what the forecasters were saying, but that's not unusual for storms to suddenly change direction, and that just reminds us that there's always work to do to try to increase the warning time and. And thankfully, over the last 10 years, I think that's something that has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those warning times have increased a bit. Um, but no, it was a uh, Adam. Thank you for getting that interview. Yeah. It was a it was a very great story. Yeah, and I, I I mean, this is Dave is one of them. But I mean, I know a couple other people that have gone through each, and, and each story is different in a way. Um, the first person I met out there, and this is going to be in the bonus section on our webpage. Um, one of the first people I talked to in Joplin that had a story about the tornado um, was my insurance guy. <laughs> and uh, he and I know that just it just seems odd because you know I just got down there, but he was telling me about how you know he had lunch and then they left, and not too much later that place where they were eating at got hit by the tornado. Um, I think it was the pizza place, and so you hear that story. I've heard stories from people like again that uh, I think one of my buddies had uh, his one of his relatives was in the hospital, and they were okay, but it's still it's just like wow, that's another person that went through that. Um, Dr. Jason Pearsoff out in Colorado, um, I met him at a storm chasing conference. I uh, did a story with him uh, that I used when I was in Joplin, and he actually went from storm chasing to 
doing what he really does for a living and there for what he gets paid for for a living, uh, trauma specialist. And so he went there right to Freeman Hospital there on 32nd Street, and I think it's the 32nd Street location, don't know which one, but he went to Freeman, the other hospital, major hospital in town, and he started to uh, go to work and help people as much as he could. He went from storm chaser right to, you know, helping people out. And I, you know, had to get that story because that's just a fascinating story to go from one mode to another, from a storm chaser to a helping people out. Um, and that was, it's just incredible how many stories you can find from just that day alone. Well, as Adam mentioned, um, there is going to be some bonus content on our website, ciproud.com. Just search for the Shooting the Breeze podcast link on the website, and he's going to have a lot more stuff on there uh, posted soon. Uh, so thank you all for, for tuning into this uh, emotional ride of a roller coaster and what I think is probably was some of the best storytelling mm-hmm. uh, of the Joplin Tornado that I've personally heard. Um, so we'll... Um, Give Dave our regards, and I'm glad he's doing well. Yep, Dave's a good guy, so I'm so. I'm glad he was able to share his story with us, and he was willing to share it too. Because for some people, uh, getting even the first couple sentence out, sentences out about that day, they just they fall apart, or they right. just emotionally can't. And I completely understand why. I mean, I get that. It's an emotional ride. Mm-hmm. All right, all that concludes this podcast. Thank you for tuning in.